Right. Good morning, everybody. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. In just a moment, we're going to read verses 13 through 21. And I hope that you will make plans to be at our tailgate fellowship uh, in just ne next week, because it's going to be an incredible time for us just to spend time together relaxing and enjoying each other's company. If you're here for the first time, I'm thrilled that you're with us today as we are beginning a new series for the next three weeks, where what we are doing is we are looking at the parables of Jesus. And I'm going to talk more about that in just a minute. But as we jump in, it's right, it's good for us to always begin by reading from Scripture, from the story of God and God's people together. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can follow along. I'm reading from a little bit of a different translation. So you can also just follow along with the words on the screen. Mark chapter 12, we're going to read verses 13 through 21. Here, here we go. Someone from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Tell me, my good man, replied Jesus, who appointed me as a judge or arbiter over you? Watch out, Jesus said to them, and beware of all greed. Your life doesn't consist of the sum total of your possessions. He told them a parable. There was a rich man whose land produced a fine harvest. What shall I do, he said to himself. I don't have enough room to store my crops. I know, he said. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And then I'll be able to store all the corn and all my belongings there. And I shall say to my soul, soul, you've got many good things stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and have a good time. But God said to him, fool, this very night, your soul will be demanded of you. Now, who's going to have all the things you've got ready? That's how it is with someone who stores up things for himself and isn't rich before God. You guys familiar with Kyrie Irving? Anybody here familiar with Kyrie Irving? He's one of the best basketball players in the NBA. He plays for the Dallas Mavericks, but uh, has been with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's been with the Brooklyn Nets, and really he's an incredible basketball player. But, but one of the things that has made him most famous has nothing to do with basketball. It was about two or three years ago, I can't remember exactly when, but he went on a podcast, and, and the podcast was talking about uh, just general stuff in life. And, and Kyrie talks about basketball. He talks about his views on a number of things. And then at some moment, I don't even remember the exact context, but it tur he turns his attention to how he feels about uh, life in general. And, and he makes this incredible statement in a podcast where he says to the world that he believes the earth is flat. Do you, any of y'all remember that? And y'all, Kyrie Irving was mocked, he was ridiculed, and, and rightly so, I think, because you can look at photos and you can see, y'all, the, the earth is not flat. And so I think he's retracted his statement from then. But, but, but part of the reason why I tell that story is we were able to kind of watch what Kyrie Irving was doing and laugh at him because we all know, we all have a common understanding about certain things in the world, namely like the earth is not flat. If you throw something up in the air, it will come down because there's this thing called gravity. There's a, there's a phrase to, des to describe things like I'm talking about. And here's what it is. It's called conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom. We have generally accepted ideas, generally accepted theories about the way things work in the world. The earth is not flat. We all, almost all of us, agree on that. It is conventional wisdom. And that's true when we think about things in the scientific realm. But, but what I want us to know this morning is it is also true when we talk about the way we think about culture. 
When we think about sort of accepted norms and conventional wisdom in the way that we live our lives. And so for us as Americans, we are taught that uh, conventional wisdom says a, a marker of success. If you wanna be a successful human being, then you're gonna accumulate money, you're gonna accumulate power, you're gonna accumulate influence, and that's what it means to be successful. Con conventional wisdom in our culture says things like, if somebody hits you, if somebody is angry or aggressive towards you, the best way to deal with that is to hit them back, to be stronger and harder and bigger and better than they are. That is conventional wisdom taught to all of us from the time we are kids. And there are thousands of other examples that I could give but, but, but you, you get it, right? We get conventional wisdom. Certain things that we all accept are true about our world and the way that we live in it. And what's really interesting to me is I think about conventional wisdom, and I think particularly through the lens of someone who is a follower of Jesus, is that the more I think about it, the more I begin to understand that conventional wisdom, what we are taught is right and proper and good as a culture, when you think about it through the lens of faith, conventional wisdom, more often than not, y'all, listen, it's wrong. The things that we are taught by culture the things that we are taught to accept as normal and rational and helpful behaviors, when we view it through the lens of being a follower of Jesus, we have to come to grips with the reality that conventional wisdom, more often than not, through the lens of a follower of Jesus, is simply wrong. One of the earliest followers of Jesus is this guy named Paul. Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. I talk about him pretty regularly here. And most of the time he's writing to churches, but he's writing to individuals as well. And in one of his most famous letters to the church at Corinth, the first letter he wrote to the church at Corinth, he's talking to them about how to be followers of Jesus. And what it means to be a follower of Jesus in first century Corinth is that you are living in a way that is different than the world around you. You see all of these things happening in pay Corinthian culture and as a follower of Jesus what Paul is saying is that's not how we live that's not how we think as followers of Jesus that's true then it's also true now but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as he's kind of branching out at the beginning of the letter he's got this incredible uh, advice an incredible word that he wants to give to the church and here's what he says that the wisdom of the world the conventional wisdom the things we accept as normal and right and good the wisdom of the world listen it is foolishness in God's sight. The wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. And so one of the things that we have to begin to wrestle with as followers of Jesus in 2023 is that some of the ways we have been taught to live, if we want to follow Jesus well, we're going to need to reject those ways of thinking. Paul talks about it in a number of his letters. But if you look at Jesus, if you listen to some of the things that he teaches, you will find that conventional wisdom just doesn't work with him. Jesus says these incredible things like if, if somebody hits you on the right cheek, do you know what you do? You don't hit them back, but you turn the other cheek. If somebody takes your cloak, rather than getting angry about it and, and, and going and having a lawsuit or whatever, he says, give them your tunic as well. If somebody makes you walk one mile rather than getting angry about it, you know what you do? You, you, you walk the second mile. Jesus says these incredibly unconventional things like the last shall be first and the first shall be last. 
Jesus has these incredible sayings that, that the, the servant among you will be the leader. The servants among you will be the best. See, see, conventional wisdom is one thing, but Jesus' wisdom is something entirely different. And for those of us who are in this room and those of us who are watching online and we follow Jesus, we're gonna live by a different script. We're gonna live by a different set of values and virtues that will make us different than the world that is around us. I, I wanna continually remind us, one of the best books I've read in a long time, uh, The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. I did a sermon series on it last year. It's an incredible book. And Dallas Willard has this wonderful phrase where he says, it makes little difference to call Jesus Lord if you have to hesitate before saying Jesus is smart. It makes little practical difference to call Jesus Lord if you have to hesitate before saying Jesus is smart. And what I want us to understand this morning is that Jesus has the best possible advice on how we are called to live and live well. And if we take him seriously, what we're gonna have to come to grips with is that his way subverts conventional wisdom. His way turns the world completely upside down. And over the course of the next three weeks, here's what I want us to do. We're going to take a look at some of his most controversial teachings. We're going to take a look at some of the most subversive things that Jesus teaches, and they're called parables. They're called parables. Now, if you grew up in the church, and, and, and I did not, and so I wasn't real familiar with a lot of parables, but if you grew up in the church, you've probably heard a thousand different sermons preached on parables. And parables at some level have even made their way into popular culture, right? One of Jesus' most famous parables is the parable of the Good Samaritan, where somebody stops and helps someone who's stranded on the side of the road. And now we have Good Samaritan laws, although I'll tell you, uh, we got that parable wrong. We're going to get there in a couple weeks, okay? Jesus tells parables and essentially if you're not religious and maybe you're not you, you don't like that kind of language it doesn't make a lot of sense to you there's another way to talk about parables and here's what they are parables are short stories by Jesus parables are short stories that are designed to evoke a response inside of us they are designed to do something inside of our hearts and in our minds to make us think in a different way and part of the reason why I want to look at parables over the course of the next three weeks is that, y'all, we have taken these parables and we have, we have basically domesticated them and removed the power out of the parables. And it is time for us to relook at them so that we can discover that the way of Jesus takes conventional wisdom and it turns it upside down. One word of caution before we jump in. Uh, one of my favorite thinkers of the age is a woman named Amy Jill Levine. Amy Jill Levine is a New Testament professor at Vanderbilt University, and she wrote a really great book. If you, I know Christmas is still a few months away, but if you're looking to get some great stuff for people at Christmas, she wrote a book a few years back called Short Stories by Jesus, and it is a wonderful book. And in the very beginning, as we set out in this journey through the parables, what Amy Jill Levine tells us and what I want us to understand is this statement, that if we hear the parable and we think, I really like that, if you hear the parable and worse, fail to take any challenge, well, what Amy Jill Levine would say to us is, you're not listening well enough. If you hear a parable and think, boy, I really like that. If you hear the parable and think, boy, I wish so-and-so would read that parable, then please understand, you are missing the point. 
Because these teachings of Jesus that are given to us in the parable are some of the most revolutionary and radical things that the world then, and even more so, the world now has ever heard before. And so over the course of the next three weeks, Jesus teaches 35 to 45 parables, depending on your definition. But what I want to do is I want to focus in on three. Three distinct parables that highlight different aspects of our lives that can help us to live in the best possible way that we can. I read to you at the beginning from Luke, from Luke chapter 12. It's the parable of the rich fool. Now, what's really important for us to understand is that as this parable is being set up, it's set up because there is a quarrel. There's a fight that's happening. It's two brothers. And Jesus is in the crowd. And, and the story says that this, these two brothers, one in particular, comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance among us. Now, let's stop for a minute and focus on that, because one of the roles of a rabbi, because Jesus was a, a rabbi, he was a recognized teacher and authority figure in Israel. And as a rabbi, as a teacher, one of the things that he would have done on a regular basis is to, uh, is to recognize disputes, to, to act as an authority on what is right, on what is wrong. How do we execute contracts? How do we uh, live moral lives? That was one of the things that Jesus, as a rabbi, would have been tasked to do. And so this man comes to Jesus and he says, hey, teacher, rabbi, we've got a dispute. We need you as the recognized authority to weigh in on the issue. And here's what I want you to do. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance. And y'all, here's what that means. That the father had just died. These two men had a father and the father had died. And now that the father is dead, the distribution of his assets is set to occur. And normally this is not a contentious thing. It's all drawn out and it's taken care of. But I can tell you from personal experience, when people die and we get to dividing up assets, listen, y'all, things can get real messy. And the reality of Jesus is that he did not come to divide people. But instead, he comes to bring us together in profound and unique ways. So in this parable, the guy comes, he goes, Jesus, listen, me and my brother are having a dispute and I need you to solve it. So tell us how the assets need to be divided. And Jesus does what he always does. He's come and he's asked a question and he goes, actually, actually, you ready for this? Let me tell you a story. Because the reality is, y'all, Jesus doesn't come to divide people. Jesus comes to do something much more valuable and much more important. So he's not weighing in on this nonsense, but instead what Jesus does is he gets to the heart of the issue because at the heart of this issue are two men who are fighting because what they want is stuff. What they want are things to increase their net worth, to increase what they have. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Hold up, I'm not having any of that. So let me tell you a story. And he launches into this parable of the rich fool, which frankly, guys, once we understand the context, it is in fact a pretty straightforward parable. That the, the man, it says he's a wealthy man. He has a field that has a great yield. And, he, and think about this, y'all. If we just took this man out of the context of the parable and we talked about there was a guy, he was wealthy, he made some investments, 
took, took a, a particular strategy with the things that he had, and it gave this incredible yield. He got a lot on his return on the investment. As Americans, what we would do is we would say, hey, that's great, good on him. And, and frankly, the context of this parable, it doesn't say he's a bad guy. He's working hard. He's doing his best. There's nothing wrong with this man in and of himself. But the problem with the man, it isn't that he has stuff. It isn't that he has wealth. But it's instead something that has begun to happen inside of his own heart. And what is fascinating in this parable, and Jesus is very intentional in doing this. Roger, have you, were you paying attention when I read the parable? Because here's what happens. The man is, had this great yield, and he says, oh gosh, what am I going to do? And so he says to himself, self, I've got all this stuff and not enough place to keep it, so what should I do? And all throughout the parable, listen, y'all, he does not refer to anyone in the entire story other than himself. He doesn't refer to anyone other than himself. And in first century culture, when large scale decisions are made, they always involve the whole of the family system. And what Jesus is saying in the course of this parable is that this man, yes, he had a great life. Yes, he had lots of things and he had lots of money and everything that everyone said success was about, but he was completely and utterly alone. He was completely and utterly alone. And in the moment where he should have been celebrating, all he had, all he had was himself. And so self, what am I going to do with all this stuff? Well, I'll just build bigger barns and I'll store my things there. And then using some Greek poetry from earlier, he says, then what I can do is I can sit back and eat, drink and be Mary. I can enjoy the good life, right? Kanye West has got that song, Welcome to the Good Life. Because uh, that's what we think the good life is all about. Having the accumulation of stuff that then positions us to relax and enjoy and kick back and go on vacations and do whatever we want. And precisely in the moment, when that man says, I'm going to do this and it's going to be great and I might not have anybody around me, but I can drown my sorrows through eating and drinking and being merry, through eating, praying and loving and going to find myself. It is precisely in that moment in this parable of Jesus where God shows up and says, this very night, your life is going to be demanded of you. And what is going to come of all your stuff? And he doesn't give us the answer because the answer is what's going to happen to the stuff? Nothing, because it doesn't matter. And at the end of the day, this parable, while we put it in its proper context, has a very, very straightforward message. And we don't talk about this often enough, but it's crystal clear. And here's what it is. What Jesus wants those two men to understand and what Jesus wants us to understand is this, that the accumulation of stuff does not lead to life. Or as Jesus says earlier in the parable, that a man's wealth does not tell us who he is. That you are more than that. The accumulation of stuff. Listen, listen. We need to hear this. The accumulation of stuff does not lead to life. 
And if there is any culture in the history of the world that needs to hear that message, do you know who needs to hear it? We need to hear it. And I could give you a thousand different examples of how accumulatory as a people we are, how obsessed with material gain we are as people. But there is one thing for me above all others. I was getting ready for this sermon series. There was one thing that kind of stuck out to me that was like, oh my word, this is us. This parable is for us here. The accumulation of stuff does not lead to life. So, so what I want to talk about for just a minute, y'all, storage units. I want to talk about storage units for just a minute. Do you, know, do you know that one in every 10 Americans, one in every 10 Americans has a storage unit? One in every 10 Americans. Nine billion square feet of storage units across the United States of America. Now, you ready for this one? How much money do you think we spend on storage units every year? You ready? Here we go. $38 billion on storage units every year. And every year in America, we auction off 155,000 storage units that are filled with stuff we do not need, right? Jonathan Sachs says we spend money we don't have on stuff we don't need for a happiness that won't last because the accumulation of stuff does not lead us to life. And yet we live in a culture where we spend $38 billion a year on storage units. And I don't even wanna talk about storage units for just a minute, right? Let's get personal. I've got, I've got a closet here in, at the church and I opened the closet to grab a pullover earlier this morning. And inside of that closet, do you know what I have? Four sets of golf clubs, four sets of golf clubs. I got the one I use in my trunk. What am I going to do with those? Well, if I take Jesus seriously, I'm going to give them away. But if I take myself seriously, I'm going to keep them because that's what I want. And that's what I need. And I'm using an example of my own life, but each and every one of us in this room, y'all, you need to take a deep look at your relationship with your stuff. And not just the stuff in your closets, but the stuff in your bank account the stuff in your retirement account? What is your relationship to the things that are present in your life? Because Jesus is bold in his proclamation that stuff does not lead to life. And I, if I stopped right there, that would be a good enough sermon. But if we stop right there, we're missing what I think is the most important piece of this entire parable. Because the man accumulates and accumulates and he's living the good life and everybody's looking up to him as a paragon. He's Elon Musk, right? He's Jeff Bezos. Oh, we wish we could be like him. And God comes in the, that very night. And the first word he says to the man, are you ready? You fool. This very night, your life's gonna be demanded of you. And that one word, if we don't pay attention to it, we can miss something incredibly important. That word fool fool is immediately to first century Jewish listeners is going to draw something to mind. It's going to draw to mind, not conventional wisdom, but the wisdom of God that is found in the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs chapter 14, the very first thing that Solomon says to us is that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
the fool says in his heart there is no God and when the most high shows up demanding the life of the man who thought accumulation of stuff would give him joy and would give him peace the very word he uses is none other than fool you fool because here's the problem with the man right here's the problem with the man is that the man ultimately is engaged in something that is really dangerous because the fool says in his heart there is no god and what that man has done in the midst of his accumulation of stuff is he has made that stuff are you ready an idol the stuff the wealth has become an idol for the man and please understand that is applicable and important for us who are living here today because what happens is that we accumulate stuff and in our minds listen in our minds we think we do things with stuff we do things with what we accumulate but what i want us to understand this morning y'all is that yes we do things with stuff but stuff does things to us stuff does things to us and it changes our hearts and it changes our minds and it realigns our values to live in certain and particular sorts of ways and the accumulation of stuff can so easily become an idol and if you don't hear that you are in deep and serious danger of walking on the road to hell because more than anything else when Jesus talks about hell you know what he talks about wealth and the failure of other human beings to use what they have appropriately there's nothing wrong with stuff in and of itself listen y'all there's nothing wrong with having a good job and making a good salary and having nice things there's nothing wrong with that but the point of this parable is that it so easily shifts from becoming just stuff and now becoming a god in our lives you fool this very night your life will be demanded of you so what is the point of this parable of jesus number one the first thing is this life is a gift this life is a gift that is given to us by a good god and everything we have is a gift the man has a plentiful harvest he's not responsible for what comes out of the earth god is it's a gift so the first thing you've got to understand about the stuff you have in this world every single one of us yes you work hard and yes you deserve at some level what you've got but make no mistake about it if you ever fail to to view it as a gift then you're on a dangerous road and the second thing and maybe the most important thing is that the man wanted to accumulate stuff so he could use it for himself and the parable is trying to teach us loud and clear this one thing that the material resources we have you ready the stuff it is intended to be used for the glory of God it is intended to be used for the glory of God and the danger of the rich fool is a danger that is present for each and every one of us 
And my goal in every sermon I preach is to give you things to walk away and look within your own self so that you can live and live well, not just in eternity, but right now, here today. And so here's what I want us to do. I want you to go home and I want you to look in your closets. I want you to go home and I want you to look at your stuff. I want you to go home and I want you to look at your Schwab account or your 401k. And I want you to think deeply about where your priorities are. God one day will look at each and every one of us. Will he say, you fool? Or will he say, well done, my good and faithful servant? The choice, my friends, is yours. And so with that hanging on our hearts, with an invitation to live in the way of Jesus that is countercultural and different than the way of the world, what I want to invite you to do is to join me as we spend a few moments in prayer. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful. We are grateful for the opportunity to be here in this space. God, to sing of your goodness, to celebrate as a people. And God, this morning, help us to hear the parable of Jesus, this bold and provocative story. And we recognize at the beginning, God, that we live in a culture that says money and wealth and power are things that we should strive for. But God, what you tell us is that while those things are okay, we need to use them for your glory. And so, God, my prayer for each one of my friends who are here in the room, for all of those who are watching online, God, help us to look deep inside of our hearts and to ask that question, what is our relationship to our things, to our money, to our goods, to our cars, to our houses, whatever it is, God, help us to ask that question. And if we are living like that rich fool, God, work in our hearts, work in our minds, so that we might turn and follow this countercultural way of Jesus because he turns the world upside down. God, be with us as we continue to worship and celebrate you this morning. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.